Welcome to In Light of the Gospel, episode 20. Uh, today I'll be speaking with a friend of mine named Isaac Dyke, who's down in Durango, Mexico. He's uh, lived there for the last 11 years. He went there initially as a missionary and now just runs a business and is raising his family there and is really enjoying his life in that, uh, in that area of Mexico. He's teaching and preaching at a local church, but in today's episode we'll talk about how he came to faith. Him and I came to faith very much around the same time uh, in the same um, community and uh, he's, he's been a real blessing to me as a brother in the Lord. He's very zealous, very passionate. His character is one that uh, makes for a very eventful life for sure. And so uh, I've been watching his life from afar and it was nice to sit down with him and talk to him face to face even though it was only through video. I appreciate you following along. I think you'll be really blessed by this story. I do have a link that I'm going to be putting in the, sh in the notes below the video of a low German ministry that Isaac has begun there. And I think uh, you'll be blessed by that as well. So thanks a lot for sharing these videos, for liking them, for subscribing to the channel. God bless you for, for following along and for tuning into these and sharing them with people who need to hear them. Very good, Isaac Dyke down in Mexico, way in the Durango Yaint. This, yes, this, sir. Is, this is where you're from, eh? This is where I was born, and this is now where we, where we live. Yeah, this is home. Okay. Well, I'm, I was trying to think back to uh, my first or earliest recollection of you, and I would imagine it, it would have to do with my brother Neil and the Martins boys, Hain and Notch and those guys. Um, yeah. Neil was, you know, three years older than I am, and so he was hanging out with you guys, and I was not quite in that age yet. But I remember seeing you guys in the a bit of the party life, and we went to get Grand Rapids together, you and me and Neil and a couple other guys to a rodeo, and yeah, those were some of my earliest memories of you. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would feel the same, same way. Yeah, I was just when, as soon as you mentioned that, I was thinking about that rodeo. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a memorable time for me because it was just at the same time that I started dating my wife, and so some of those things kind of rolled together, but. Uh, but yeah, you should take us way back. Maybe if do you do you remember Mexico still from when you were a kid? I do. Um, I was. I mean, I was young when we were going, always going back and forth. Um, earliest memories of here, I was six years old. But uh, but um, I remember being here at eight years old. I remember being here at thirteen. Thirteen was probably the last last uh, age that I remember being here with my parents. And then after that, uh, I, there was two or maybe even three times that I came to Mexico as a as a young adult, um, made made some trouble over here and things like that. But yeah, well, I, I I've tried to think of what your childhood must have been like because I've known you to be a little bit wild. I know back in the party days, you had a bit of a reputation for being maybe a bit of a scrapper, a bit of you know always making noise. And then I remember even after you got saved doing like crazy stunt type stuff where you, you ramped a, a pedal bike and wiped out and scraped your face all up. And people are always talking about you in there in the mountains now, like just everybody feels like you're risking your life every time you go out for a walk. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I think they're being a little bit, a little bit extreme. Um, but, uh, but yeah, definitely some of that has definitely carried on to my, my children. They, like our our building here is uh, 15 feet tall at the tallest, and and uh, my smallest kids want to climb climb to the top. I mean, obviously we don't let the smaller ones climb up all the way, but but they're all climbers, and um, 
try not to let let our cowboys grow up to be babies if you know what i mean there you go but uh, i would imagine this is kind of what your childhood was like then too you were pretty rambunctious always getting into something whether it was trouble or just adventure eh? Yeah, definitely. I, some of my uh, childhood memories, especially here of Mexico, was playing with snakes and, and things like that. And, and my mom always screaming, Isaac, Lutey, Shlong, will talk, right? <laughs> and different, different things like that. Uh, one time in particular, I remember I was probably nine years old, something like that. Me and my cousin purposely went out to looking for rattlesnakes because we heard you could sell them. And we ended up catching one and killing it. And, and we stood at the road waiting for Mexicans to drive by and and uh, want to sell it for meat, I guess. And there was no takers. Nobody, nobody oh, stopped. So you that was a, the bill of goods. Yeah, that was a wasted business business venture, right? <laughs> there you go. So when you guys came to Canada, then was it always the Niagara area, or were you kind of back and forth here as well? Um. Well, earliest mem memories of Canada were Cambridge, uh, but that was I was only four years old then. Uh, but most of my memories would be, would have been Niagara area. Uh, Niagara on the lake, and then also right in the city of Niagara Falls. Uh, some, some not too pleasant memories of that one, but but yeah. Is that right? And and like most people that are in my social circles, you were raised old colony. Uh, family was all very involved. A lot of your brothers were singers and stuff like that. Your dad was involved, I believe. Yeah, um, <clears throat> definitely. <clears throat> I always I always seemed or was. The, one of the black sheep, so I can't see the black sheep of the family it was lots of kids. And, and I think a lot of the brothers would have felt the same way that they were, they were the one that, that, that nobody liked, or I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I never, never felt like I was the one that nobody liked. I just, I was the one that often got into trouble. And so, yes, I did have a lot of my brothers had calmed down. They got married. They, they became very involved in the old colony. Um, I was uh, the opposite, not at all involved. And, and just um, uh, uh, right? And uh, getting into more and more sin, and and uh, and so every, I was the one that that everybody that had calmed down already was just praying for that. That I would just calm down, get baptized, get married, join the church, and be a reg regular Mennonite, right? Yeah, I guess I. That's where you kind of fit in with Neil and those Martins boys a little bit too, because. All of my brothers got married pretty young. Jamie is the second oldest, and he think he was like 24, which today's standards is still a pretty young guy. And uh, you were, Neil was like 29 by the time he finally got married. And I think you're a bit older than him yet, right? Yeah, I was, I was 30 by the time I got married. I was 27 by the time I got saved. So, so yeah. yeah, I was pretty good. There you go. So yeah, obviously, when you got saved, when you were 27, that's when you and I kind of reconnected. There was I've, I've talked quite a bit about this with my, lab, my last episode with John Dyke about the whole Redicop church start and all that. You and I got kind of thrust into song leading there. And then we started getting together pretty much every Thursday. And since then, you've been, you know, on my mind routinely. And I love getting together with you. It's just been a long time now. But um, we've got quite a few memories together now. Yeah, that's for sure. That is something that that I often uh, refer to back to those to those days, those years when I'm sharing with in Bible study or whatever. Um, it was it was an amazing time of, of growth for all of us. And and some of us didn't even know where we were at right away. Um, I remember it was took quite a while before I even understood that I was born again, that something yeah. had changed. And and there came a time where I started feeling like, OK, I'm a Christian, but it had more to do with now I'm doing the Christian things 
Yeah. And 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 I wasn't I didn't wasn't I wasn't aware of this miracle that had happened in my life right until probably probably about four or five, six months after I was saved, where I actually could pinpoint back and go, you know what, I just I got born again. My life is finally matching up with the Bible, right? I see. So when you do share your testimony with people, where do you typically begin it? Do you begin it as a child or do you do you more just kind of tell them that when you were a teen, you were a troublemaker? And then in your 20s kind of thing, like where does it typically start? Uh, it depends very much. I have uh, I've shared my testimony so many times and and I've even sometimes during my testimony, I've shared that if you would have listened to all of my testimonies, you'd think, OK, this this time he's, you know, one of these times he's not telling the truth because this is a completely different testimony. But uh, I think you and I both know that that uh, you you can look at it in so many different ways. I. I've shared my testimony in the in the um, in the eyes of one of those uh, wicked sinners that that had almost gone too far, right? That I just was already perhaps given over to a reprobate mind in a lot of ways, where my conscience was seared, where I was just I was able to to get drunk and and talk about God while I was drunk, and it made all my friends uncomfortable. And and people like like that today, if I talk with them, that they really concern me. I feel like. I feel like you can't even you can't even uh, affect them, get to their heart anymore. They're they're seared, right? And so, but also um, another part of my testimony is is the self righteous part, where where I I share with people how good I thought I was, where yeah. that that probably surprises so many people <laughs> that that somebody that was so de deep into sin and 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 addicted to sin and just just uh, almost like uh, no no restraint, right? Where could this where could this guy even find self righteousness? But I've I've learned more and more that that self righteousness that's it's the that's the sin of humanity. That's that's everyone's. That is not there's not the the self righteous and then the sinner. It is we are all self righteous until we realize that Christ is the only one that's righteous and and yeah. give into that. Right. That's an excellent point because I know you if you go to you know death row. You go see prison inmates. There's a few out there that will admit, yes, I've done some horrible things. But for the most part, they kind of justify them. It's like, yeah, I did it, but I didn't have any choice. Or I, I just ran out of options. There was nothing else I could have done. And I'm, I'm overall a pretty good guy. And they, they have this estimation of themselves that they are good. And then if you can imagine, like you or me, raised in good old colony homes, going to the right churches and dressing the right way and, you know, listening to the right music, perhaps, or whatever it might be, where we're at least of that category. So yeah, I've done a lot of horrible things, but if anybody has a chance, it's going to be me, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that, that reminds me of, of the time where God was really, really working in my life. Um, one of the ways that God got my attention was by reminding me of my self-righteousness. I just it seemed like in a very short period of time, uh, so many things happened where I was able to finally honestly see myself. I, I, I had gotten baptized already in the Old Colony Church, and I had tried to settle down. I didn't have a girlfriend at the time, and I wasn't, wasn't getting married. I, for me, it was... Why did you get baptized then? Um, I, <laughs> I, I, for a long time, I was, I was tired of my sin. I wanted something mm -hmm. different. And, and at the same also... I did want a girlfriend and I wanted a nice girlfriend, but, but problem was I had ruined my reputation so far that the nice girls didn't want me anymore. I and see. so, 
so many guys that were uh, that really partied up they're they're all the same you always felt like there's guys that don't even want a nice girl but it's impossible we all in a, inside we all have a spirit that's crying out for a nice a wholesome Pure. a good life the, yeah. god has put that in there right and so doesn't matter how much of a party animal that people think you are at the end of the day you want to settle down and you want to have a, a nice life and a nice wife and a nice family and so one of the things that i felt like uh, if i would at least get baptized it would kind of be a, a fresh start right from there on i'd be more careful and i'd be a better person and it had nothing to do with uh, faith in christ i did i didn't know i mean i knew about being born again from gospel songs i knew there was so many so many things that I had heard already, but but yet somehow the understanding wasn't there. Not at least not in a in a deep level. Um, but uh, and I don't remember where I was going with this. Um, yeah, but anyway, when when God was really showing me my my self righteousness, uh, I went to I had after I got baptized, I for a long time stopped going to the really bad parties. We had smaller parties with smaller groups, backyard barbecues with too much beer, but. But some of the really bad parties we kind of st stayed away from, uh, Lovers Lane being one of them, some of the hall parties. But uh, after there came a time where I kind of got uh, uh, sick of everything again, and and I went back to Lovers Lane. I hadn't been there in a long time, and I was always getting into fights. But I, but I, as, just like you said, some of these criminals always claiming it wasn't their fault. I really believed that I was the good guy, that I was actually never at fault. It was always the other guy. But uh, so this one Lover's Lane party as particular, I showed up there and, and, and there was a guy there that had been in jail that I had fought with before and, and I'd heard about how much he'd been weightlifting while he's in jail and looked, at, looked across the fire and there I see him and right away I'm just thinking, oh no, I'm gonna get in a fight again. And I was, I was <laughs> depressed about it. I went back to my truck <clears throat> and just sat on the tailgate and drank beer there <clears throat> and then there was a girl that showed up there that was familiar to me and, and she looked very familiar. I even asked her who she was because she looked so familiar, but I, I, I knew I didn't know her, but then she told me who she was. I go, oh, I know your sister. And then I said, hey, where's your sister? Oh, and she said, oh, he's, she's baptized. She doesn't come to these things anymore. And it was like, like, a, like God just took that moment to, to throw a dart at my heart, right? I and see. then, and then the same thing, um, right around that same time, there a lot of stuff happened together. And that's why I know it was God. Um, my friends were all talking about me and how talking about how much of a troublemaker I was and always getting into fights. And I told them, it's not, it's not me. It's never my fault. It's always, they, they, they start these fights and I just, you know, I'm just defending myself or whatever. And one of my friends, and I think this was the wisdom from God. He was, he was not saved. I don't know if he's saved today, but, but I believe that God imparted wisdom into that man that day and he said he said uh my friend said to me hey listen we all drink the same beer we all go to the same fights we all are same parties we all see the same people but you're the only one that gets in a fight <laughs> and and it was just like another another dark and uh right around that same time again i went out with uh went out for dinner with some of my my girlfriends not not girlfriends but just friends of mine that were girls and, uh, and while we were sitting there, they started joking around about how much of a player I was. And I was insulted, really insulted. And I, and I said, what do you mean I'm a player? I'm not a player. And, uh, and I'm looking for all... someone to settle down with. Yeah. And, uh, and they all started kind of laughing and they couldn't believe that I didn't see myself as a player. 
Hmm. And and as I as I saw their their reaction, I started again. I started examining myself. Like, what am I doing? What's going on? And and so in a very short period of time, God God showed me not and not then I could go on. There's so much more that happened those two weeks before I got saved, where God He reminded me of every hypo, hypocritical thing in my life. He reminded me of every everything I had said where where I had uh, told God that I was going to live better or whatever. And it was just like in a very short period of time, God reminded me of everything to the mm. point where I felt like there's not even like God wouldn't even save somebody like me. And, and that's where I got saved. You finally felt how, that you were as bad as you actually were. Eh? That, that's right. At that's this right. time, you were a truck driver, right? You were gone on the road quite a bit. Um, no, no. At this time, I wasn't. I had been a truck driver for years, and and um, let's see. I got saved at twenty twenty seven, and I stopped driving truck at twenty five. I think I was already. Oh, and so okay. it wasn't really a couple of years of framing. I was framing with the Martin's guys, and I was doing renovations. I was working for a deck building company. Right. There right. You were, you and Richard ended up working for a deck company there, right? That's right. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you say you got saved by seeing how awful you were, but what brought you to the realization of that as awful as I am, there is still hope for me, even though it doesn't feel like there should be. Ah, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's hard to, hard to say because, because I was so unsure of everything. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't even that I, that I thought that uh, there was grace or, I honestly felt like I had blown it so far that I should just I should just serve God now, like regardless whether whether there was any hope for me at all. Just just mm-hmm. that that He was worth it. And when when I look back now, I mean that is that is a fruit of somebody that's that's gotten saved, right? And so <clears throat> I've I've shared this a lot of times that that some uh, people get this impression that you need to hear the gospel to get saved. And obviously, you need to hear the gospel. You have to know the gospel or or know about the good news. But uh, just like it says in First John, if if we say that we have no sin, we make him a liar, right? There's a there's a there's. It's supposed to be one thing first is that if we would read through the Word of God, the first thing it would would convince us of is our sin, and then the second thing it would convince us of is is the Savior, right? I think a lot of people have heard so much about the gospel but not heard about the righteous standard of God or how high that, that, that standard is, how, what God accepts. And so they never saw themselves as, as a sinner. Well, obviously we would, none of us would have said we're not, we're not sinners, but I've often referred to it this way. When we, when we're still saying, yes, I'm a sinner, but we're all sinners. Right. Then, then we're throwing ourselves into the pile that, and, and most of us, when we say that, we're actually thinking, yeah, we're all sinners, but I'm I'm not one of the bottom ones. I'm kind of closer to the top, but yeah. I'm amongst a bunch of sinners, and there's some really bad ones in there. And when, but yet when when God really gets a hold of us, then we feel the same way that Paul does uh, of the chiefest of sinners. Like I'm I'm the only one. I'm the worst one. Yeah, yeah, we've all sinned, but you guys hmm. haven't lied to God like I have. You guys haven't pretended like I have. You guys, you start seeing that that. That, yeah, I believe that everyone is sinned and salvation is for you, but I don't even know if God would, would, 
would stoop down to save save somebody like me. Then, and that's then that, you're in a good place, right? Eh? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. So I believe I honestly believe that the moment I felt like I was bad enough that I had I had actually earned hell myself and that that I I didn't deserve to be saved that that salvation happened. I think that that salvation happened at that moment. Well, because like you said, you understood that Christ had died for your sins. You would probably even have shared this with other people, maybe in your drunken stupor sometimes telling people you have to trust Jesus. You know, you've been hearing yeah. sermons on the radio driving truck knowing the gospel, but it's for, for the bad people. It's for those other people. So I can imagine that. I often think about it for our own kids even. They know the gospel from knee high, right? Like they should be very, very familiar with the concept, the idea, but it doesn't really register to them. And I'm hoping always that one day they'll feel really awful. They'll recognize, I too have failed miserably. I too don't come anywhere near measuring up. And then it could be an immediate transfer to, to faith in Christ because, oh, that's who Christ died for. That's why he had to suffer and die because of who I now am. I, I thought I knew this intellectually, but then it sinks deep in the heart, right? And faith springs out of it. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that is something that we are very much uh, waiting and praying for, for our children that that they'll see the the how how high that standard is, right? And 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 it's amazing that when the spirit moves, the Holy Spirit is able to to convince somebody of sin that we would look at and go, what sin? What sin? What sin did that little girl have, right? Yeah. And and that God is God is able to to take one moment, one moment of a, a lie, one one moment of hypocrisy, one moment of of whatever, and make that feel like that was so terrible what I did. And obviously compared to God, it is. And that's why, yeah. that's why that's the only help we need, right? Like, like if it's not the Holy Spirit convincing, then, then, then the, they'll never see it. Yeah. There's that passage where Jesus says, he that is forgiven much also loves much. And I sometimes would have looked back on my old life and thought, well, I didn't uh, get drunk. I didn't go to parties. I didn't do drugs. I didn't have premarital sex. You know, i there, I, maybe I shouldn't be that grateful because I wasn't forgiven that much. But when I realized how deep my sin was and how every motive, every thought, every time I thought I was better than someone else, even though in my heart, I desired the same things, those things were all just as evil in God's sight. And then I began to realize how awful and sinful I actually was. And then my, my love for him became intense, right? Where, you know, somebody from the outside, like you said, might look at us and think, well, Isaac should love more because he did more outward evil things. But now you and I both can equally understand how depraved we were before God, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I've often uh, on, a, on a whiteboard, I kind of draw, draw God's, God's standard where the holiness that Christ lived at. And then, and then I put two lines that are far beneath Christ's holiness. And one of those lines is, is the best of sinners and one is the worst of sinners. But <laughs> but when you we're still so far away from God that there's no difference. It's almost like it's almost like I'm in Mexico. I'm far away from you. Um, uh, my brother, my brother Abe lives a little bit closer. And, and you know, it, it's almost like me and Abe discussing, oh, one of us needs to go to Canada, to get something. Why don't you know, why don't you go? You're closer. <laughs> like, like that might work for the corner store here where. His distance is half mine, but it's not even because we only live about a kilometer apart here. But when we're when we're when we're comparing it to going to Canada, it's just like 
you know what, step on it just a little bit more. Like there's like one stop sign, one stoplight is going to make the difference as to yeah. who gets there first. What a great so, example. I like that. That's kind of like the one that uh, probably was Michael Pearl that years ago I heard where he was saying that, uh, you know, you got five or six people on an island and the only way to get off the island is to get to the other one over there. I forget the exact way he shared it, but he's like, you got this four-year-old kid that runs and runs and runs and jumps, you know, like half a foot and that's all he can jump. And then you got this 10-year-old boy who thinks, oh, I can jump way further. And he jumps three feet, sails through the air and splashes in the water. Then you got this big, tough 15, 16-year-old boy who's been running track at school maybe. And he's like, jumps in the air and he's sailing past the other kid and he's way up in the air. And, you know, 14 feet in, splash, he's in the water. And then along comes an Olympic athlete. You know, he's a, a long jumper by trade and he just sails past all of them, way over the head of the teenage kid. And 25 feet in, splash, he's in the water. Like none of them were even made a dent. They were nowhere close. So that's, that's no. a great illustration. You know, it doesn't matter how close you got. You're way too far from making it. Yeah, that's right. I never heard that one before. I remember that one. Yeah. There's the, the, the whole cockroach idea, you know, from us to a cockroach seems like a big difference, but it's less of a difference. There's less of a gap between me and a cockroach than between God and us, right? And so you That's start right. to see yourself that awful and you're like, I don't have hope. There's no hope for me except for somebody stepping in and doing something for me, right? Amen. Amen. And once you see that, once you see that we are all just a, just a one, a big pile of sin, one, like from one to the other, from the, from the worst to the least or the worst to the best. We all came so short, and, and uh, our only hope is Christ. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. So when you do share that, when you have Christ's righteousness, and then the best of sinners and the worst of sinners, where do you go from there? What do you tell them then? Oh, I don't know. Um, I guess it depends very much very much what, what group I'm um, talking to. Um, lately, I mean, I mean the, the law of God, the whole word, the word of God, I feel like, especially in uh, modern evangelical, evangelical Christianity, um, the whole concept of, of us being sinners is, is gone already. Well, like I said, they'll, they, it'll be mentioned all the time, but, but always mentioned in a way that, that you are a sinner, but you are a sinner that's worthy of salvation. And I think I, I cringe at that idea. Um, I mean, it's, it's completely false, but, um, but yeah, just, where do I, where do I go with that? Just uh, usually I'll talk about how Christ became, you know, he wasn't, he just, he didn't, didn't become the best sinner. Like he became the worst. He became the, he became, God made him that knew no sin to be sin for us. Right. And so he became the worst sinner of the world. Not only the, the worst sinner, but, but you take all the sins of the world and all the sinners and you pile, pile all that debt onto one, one person uh that is that's our only our only our only hope is that we see that that's right so yeah like he uh, not that he was a sinner but he became what we were so that we could be called and be made what he is right so that's that great trade that is one of the that's like the foundation of our faith right if it wasn't for his righteousness and his work 
we would all be completely hopeless. We would be like that, whatever, how far ever you jumped, that doesn't matter how, how much you did, but Christ was the only one who could make it. He jumped all the way. And now we being in him partake of his reward, right? That's, that's right. That even that, uh, that analogy reminds me a little bit of, of the one that goes around so much. I don't know if it's so popular in Canada, but here it's very popular where, where people have this little cartoon where someone's carrying their cross and and uh, it gets heavy and they start cutting pieces off and cutting pieces off and then when they get to the 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 cliff or whatever their cross is not long enough and and it's a completely misleading story it's the same story that you know what uh, if you do try hard enough and you do uh, uh, do your part to carry your cross you're going to make it you're going to make it across with your cross right whereas every one of our whatever uh someone is carrying their cross uh well i think you and i both know the the misinterpretation there but christ is the only one that that made it across that that ravine christ is the only one that that lived a perfect life that that even was was worthy to get across there right that's right i remember and, the old colony preachers at our baptism classes sharing that story and my wife remembers it very vividly because they said that they made the comparison that maybe if a woman cut her hair, it was like cutting her cross. And so now if you had cut your hair this much too, too short, like maybe you wouldn't even make it to heaven now because, you know, maybe just cutting your hair wasn't what would keep you out of heaven, but maybe it was just enough. You know, you should have kept your cross a little bit longer. <laughs> and that, that's, that's such a final, the, the final piece that got cut off. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, this is uh, shortly after you got saved is when you and I started uh, hanging out and we were uh, very overzealous probably at times, but it, it thrilled our souls to be free from the debt or free from the bondage of either religion or sin or whatever it was that we had both come out of. You were already at Redicops then or was this just before that whole church split? Um, no, uh, I got I got saved probably a week or two before Redicops started. Like that okay. was... I mean, I, I didn't even know I was saved. I went through this, this, um, like I said, the two weeks probably of, of just being completely depressed where I didn't even want to go home. I stayed at work as long as I could. And, and uh, my sister noticed that, that I wasn't going out with my friends. I wasn't doing anything. And then she reminded me and said, oh, that, that Redicop group is having a meeting at, uh, where was that meeting? At uh, Eden, Eden Hall. Yeah. And, uh, and told me to go and i had i decided that you know what i'm gonna do, i'm gonna go and whatever they need me to do i'm gonna do i'm just gonna serve god there and i didn't know um i've often shared my testimony where i believe i got saved when i decided that i was going to serve god there but i i i from reading the word of god and from understanding god more I, I, again i believe my salvation point where where it was where i realized i was a sinner that that was worthy of death that didn't, didn't deserve to be saved and so then later hearing that that redicup church uh was having a meeting to that to just discuss what who was going to do what that was that was an act of gratitude that was an act of service towards god that that i had a, was already a child of god even though i would have never claimed that at that point yet but what i just wanted to go serve god and that's where they they decided that i should become a singer hmm very interesting. And then we were, yeah. you know, I mean, we could kind of fast forward some of these things, but I know you and I both ended up 
leaving the Redicop church, there was a lot of confusion. There are a lot of fruit and a lot of beautiful things that took place, but at the same time, it, it wasn't going to become very established. We could tell already. And we were very much influenced by the charity ministries, the uh, CDs and audios that we were he hearing. And then we got in touch with, you know, the Jansen boys, Corny and Benji and Dave and all those type of people. And that, that group was, even to this day, I look at it and they're, there was so much passion there, so much fire. Everybody wanted to be hearing the word, sharing the word, preaching the gospel in some way, shape, or form. Now, I, I myself felt like I got bogged down with outward religion while I was there, and I think a lot of other people were as well, on, on my estimation anyway. At the same time, I've never been a part of a group that was so zealous, so as we said, on fire for the gospel, right? Yep. Amen. I have, my wife and I have often talked about it. And even though same thing bogged down with religion, we got, we got wrapped up in, in a lot of stuff uh, like Galatians would be talking about, right? We got, uh, um, um, <clears throat> we lost sight of our Liberty and got bound up in, in the yoke of bondage, but, but there is just, I, we have so much, so much to be thankful for. Um, I miss, I miss it. I miss, uh, the fact that you can uh, preach a message or after a message is preached that you have 10 guys that are standing around that are talking about what about this scripture and what about that scripture and and uh, I really like the opportunities I have now to teach and, and preach and bible studies and so forth but but I'm always I'm always longing for where's the questions where's the uh you know what does this I know I know what I just said is very new you know why it's is profound. it nobody gonna even yeah, is there nobody going to even ask me about that? Hey, wait a minute, that sounds different than what we've always heard. Or, or and and I long for that because, um, as a teacher, just when there's questions, then I know okay, you're paying attention, and then yeah. and there, there's nothing as satisfying as as answering the question that's being asked. Whereas when if you just have a Bible study and there, even if you can see there's a bunch of amen faces and they're liking what you're saying, you you still want to hear uh, some some questions come up, right? And that used to be used to be so much. And that that group that we came came out of, um, oh, I have so often I've uh, just thank God for the surrounding and not just not just Vienna, but even uh, Lighthouse Gospel and John Bamond and yourself and and my wife's brothers and there was there was like a hedge around us of people that loved God. A lot of a lot of wrong ideas, a lot of misled uh, things. But the right idea was love, love God and, and preach the gospel. Like there was some things that we got, we inherited from there. That was just beautiful, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, and even some of the messages from charity ministries, like I got saved listening to Jerry Mahor and Roman Kaufman. And um, the way that I think about child training and family was, was very much shaped by Denny Keniston, even though, you know, you look at some of his now and it's like, man, I don't know how good of a job he did, but I'm not, I, I'm not judging it. I just, it really impacted how focused I wanted to be on my kids. I mean, I work from home for those reasons. I, I left off trying to make a lot of money and said, I'm going to work from home so I can be around the family and all that. And it's, yeah, it's very much shaped the way that we think them as, as well as the pearls and, you know, a lot of other people that we were influenced by at the time. But just, just as you were sharing there, I remember the communion services at Vienna. Remember that? Like, especially when when Jake Simons was preaching the gospel and Dave Jansen came back from Alberta and he was preaching the gospel and Benji was sharing it, you and I were sharing it and everybody was catching this vision of not only are we 
uh, are, are our past sins forgiven, but we have participated in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're free from our sins, and we, we don't need to continue. There was like extreme celebration, like everybody was genuinely shouting amens and hallelujahs, and it was it was very real. Those those communion services were passionate and real, at least for the men. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I uh, amen. I feel I feel the same way that that was. There was some moments there, especially the first the first moments walking in there and just just seeing how uh, like everybody embraced you as if as if you were the long lost brother that that finally came home where where they were there were a bunch of strangers right and uh, everybody did everything gave up everything for anybody and and took people in and so much stuff happened there. Now, uh, not to criticize, especially not publicly like this, but there did seem to be an air about us and that church that we were kind of, and maybe it was true. We were kind of the best church around, you know, like we were the most zealous. We were the most passionate. We were the most dedicated to truth. We would call people out. And so I wonder sometimes was a lot of the passion and that excitement of like, Oh, you're coming here now. Yes. We got another one. Was it, we're celebrating that people are coming to Christ or, or almost like the Church of God. And I don't want to compare them to Church of God. Church of God in Elmer is a cult. Uh, the church at Vienna was nowhere near a cult. But the Church of God in Elmer, they would celebrate that someone has finally come home. And at Vienna, we would make those kinds of jokes sometimes. Like, oh, good, you finally come home. But there was this real excitement around anybody who would dare step in the doors at Vienna was like, okay, here we go. We got something here, right? So I don't know what you make of that or what your thoughts are now when you look back. Oh, well, uh, I mean, definitely we can't we can't judge the whole crowd, right? Because because it's it would definitely depend on individuals. I'm sure there was some that that uh, would get more excited on the day that you joined the church than the day that you got saved, right? Um, and and vice versa, uh, there would be some that would have been very uh, uh, very fine with you leaving Vienna as long as they knew you're still walking with Christ, and then and then. So it, it would vary depending on on who who, who was there, um, but I still I still believe that in that area that it was the best church. It was the best church. I mean, that might sound terrible what I did, what I just said, but why <laughs> why? Uh, um, because it was a young group of people that were excited about studying the Word of God, and we were convinced that the Word of God was final authority, right? Whereas we, even when we'd go street witnessing. Uh, I ran into a, a professed Christian, Christian, and I, I asked him if I could share some scriptures with him. This was an older man, and then he looked at me and goes, "You don't really believe every word in that book, do you?" And I and I said, "Yes, I do." And then he said, "Oh, when someone smacks you, uh, hits you on the cheek, you don't you don't turn him the other cheek. You you stand up for yourself." And I would just, I I just couldn't believe what I and this was a professed Christian, right? And so we're surrounded. We were surrounded by churches. That that didn't see the word of God as 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 final authority, um, but not only that. <clears throat> so why were we so excited when somebody would would? Uh, I, I understand why they were excited when when we came because for the same reason that I was excited when somebody else came. There is so much profession of salvation, right? And so much profession of salvation without any fruit. All throughout our our lives, we would have known people that started going to church or whatever, but we never noticed anything different, right? Whereas 
Whereas the people most, I think most of the people that ended up turning to Vienna were turning there because they were looking for somebody that was more serious about the word of God. For, for when you just think about ourselves, like we, I wasn't, I wasn't looking for somebody to give me a bunch of rules. I wasn't looking for a strict church where I could feel more safe. I was looking for a group of people where I was going to be taught the word of God more. I felt like, I felt like I need to, I need to know this. I need to know the word of God. And, 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 and so little, and so there were so few people that were, were teaching with authority. Now, obviously we, uh, there's, there's things that as a young church, uh, they didn't understand. We didn't understand. We were all growing in, in the knowledge of, of grace. And, and uh, unfortunately, often it, it uh, veers the wrong way sometimes, but, but we were, we were in the most ideal place to just learn the word of God. Sometimes I think about, um, I heard a preacher once say many years ago that he thought the only thing that could save American Christianity was that it become illegal. You know, that, God, that the government shuts the church building doors and you have to, to worship God in secret or you have to, you know, hide your friends. And, and all of a sudden the Christians that are real Christians you know them, you know, like there's no hiding it. There's no pretending it. There's no halfway in halfway out. And one of the things I often think about was at Vienna, there was a serious cost. Like right. people who, who dared come to Vienna either were very ignorant about their reputation or they really just said, I no longer care what people think about me. I no longer concerned with what people might say. I want to follow God and I want to follow the truth. And here's a group of people who are absolutely dedicated to this, whether they understood everything correctly or not, which of course none of us do, but they were on fire. They were dedicated. They were preaching the gospel and, um, and it was trouble. You, if you got saved and went to that church, you were going to be in trouble with your family, almost guaranteed, especially if you came from a Mennonite background. That's right. That is amazing point that you brought up. That is that is probably one of the one of the key elements that that created that kind of that kind of growth in the people that went there was was the fact that you know the the cross before me the world behind me whatever whatever I have to go through whatever and we went through uh, some of us uh, pretty severe persecution uh, at least uh, verbally at least uh, with what you what people were saying about you. Uh, and it, it, it was like we, we burned a bridge and said, said, you know what, those, the old friends, the old uh, whatever, and uh, some, some of the bridges I regret burning, but at the same time, I feel like it was, it was God saying that, that it's time, it's time to, for, for you to just, for see no, to see nobody but me, right? Right. And, and we made that choice. I, I often think of baptism this way. It should almost be one of those types of things where in a culture that didn't accept Christianity so readily, baptism would probably be seen as one of those things like you seriously, you went that far, like you, you became a Christian, like you now are with those people. And that was kind of the way it was. Whereas if, if you went to Vienna at that time, it was like, you've crossed the line, you've gone too far, you get writ off by your family, perhaps that kind of thing. So no, I think there was definitely a lot of benefit and value to that. And they were also mission-minded. You know, they had Dave Jansen out in Alberta, and then they sent Corny and you out to Niagara. And then from there, from Niagara, it was send you off to Mexico. And it's just, there was no, no corner of the world where there, especially where there happened to be Mennonites, where they didn't want to have their hands somehow involved. Like, let's get the gospel to these people. They need to hear it. 
Yeah, that, that is right. That was very, just a great blessing. And even now, like I've been trying to get Dave Jansen on here to talk about the, uh, the low German Bible version that they're translating. And, you know, there's no let up, right? They want, they want people all to know, all the Mennonite low German Flotdicha people to, to know and understand the gospel. Yeah, and, and, and it's still, when, when I, the, the place where I'm at now, we are definitely in a different place in our life and in, in a different church than far different from, from Vienna. Um, but one thing that, that I still see around me is, uh, and, and I know that it's, God has give, given me the gift of a teacher and, and a teacher is always going to feel like the word of God is not, is not, uh, being held up as, uh, the importance is not being brought out as much, but, um, uh, here, so, uh, very much, uh, that's very much the case where, where I, where I am seeing, oh, how important the word of God is and how powerful it is and how, how it's always being kind of, you know, read your devotions, read your Bible, but, but, but the focus is on counseling. It's on, um, working on their self-esteem. It's on, it's on all these things, all this, this, the, the elements of the world where, where you see that, no, no, the, the word of God is what's going to be able to, uh, change somebody it's what can save somebody the word of god is is our only hope and i think that came from from that time right interesting how long have you been in mexico now i know uh, maybe you can briefly share that story of how you got sent there too it was a, like a mission effort originally right that's right uh we've been in mexico now almost almost 11 years um initially it would have been probably just over 11 years ago, we came to Mexico a little bit to, to visit and then uh, we saw that the, the, the hunger or saw that maybe the opportunity here, um, just the people, the ignorance that the people had talked to some people on the street. We talked to some families that, that were in the old colony, but had recently gotten saved. And we just talked to quite a few different people that, that really were looking for, looking for what we found when we were young Christians. Right. And so we uh, uh, gave a report back uh, back home, back in Niagara, and, and shared our interest in going to Mexico. I never uh, had an interest in being sent there and being a, a supported missionary. I actually actually su suggested that my family would would start coming here in the in the winters and just work work in Canada in the summer and come here in the winters and just to try to open some doors, try to try to speak to some people. And, and still uh, that way keep supporting myself. The church, on the other hand, suggested that uh, they would just completely support us and, uh, and they were gonna send us to Zacatecas instead of to Durango and just asked us to submit to what they decided. And we thought about it and prayed about it. And we ended up doing what, what they wanted us to do and became completely, completely supported over here. Um, then we were in Zacatecas for a year and um, things had really changed. One reason they wanted us to go to Zacatecas is because there was nothing, no evangelical church in the La Onda area. Well, there was the old colony and then there was Clanny Mandy and both were very similar. Um, but then by the time we actually moved there, then there was a Mennonite Mennonite. Uh, probably still a little bit similar to the clan humanity, but a little bit, but more open to the gospel. And these, 
a lot of these, um, or I should I shouldn't say open to the gospel, understood the gospel uh, definitely uh, clearer than than old colony, anyways. But then some of these families um, that that were in the old colony that wanted us to come down, they had already joined the Mennonite mandate, and uh, so we ended up visiting the Mennonite mandate and and just as visiting in a way that just hoping that this was a place where these families would be fine, where they could grow. And, and for the most part, it was, we were, we were excited about what was happening there. Uh, there was people getting saved out of the old colony and coming to the Mennonite mandate. We did see uh, people, uh, oh, just like it happens everywhere. We did see people that were joining the Mennonite mandate that, that, didn't seem to have the fruits of the spirit as well. And so a mixed, a little bit of a mixed bag there as well. But, um, but long story short, the church, uh, when we finally started feeling a little bit more comfortable in Zacatecas, then they asked us to move to Portis. And so then we moved over from, here. They assessed and, that from Ontario. Yes. Um, one, of the, one of the big reasons for it though too was we moved to Mexico in one of the most dangerous times that we have, that I have known of, um, uh, where the the Seta and the, the drug cartels were kidnapping people, and that was happening far more in La Onda than over here. And uh, in La Onda, um, I ended up uh, speaking with the the old colony Altista and challenging him on the scriptures, and and then we ended up getting a visit from the some old colony Mennonites that were working for the Seta that were part of the cartel and warning us to not uh, talk to the old colony Altista anymore. And, and through that, because my cousin Pancho was there as well, um, the house that he was staying in, the people got threatened that, that, uh, that they were going to burn their house down um, uh, if they let people like us stay in there. So they end up moving out of there and end up moving straight to Potis because they had a house here. Wow. And uh, they weren't able to find a place to live in Zacatecas. And so now we were separated. Now Pancho and Tina were in Potis and we were in Zacatecas. And now because the, the families that we originally, the reason we originally moved out there, they were all now part of the Nanitna mandate. They decided that we should just move to Potis and see what we could, what we could start over here. I see. Uh, now, uh, our minds were a little bit different or we weren't um, one of the honestly one of the reasons that I wanted to move to Mexico is because of church politics is to kind of get away from from some things that were happening uh, back home were happening in Niagara and uh, and so there was there was things that I was starting to see differently that I knew uh, I wasn't allowed to talk about I wasn't these were uh, um, teachings or whatever that were not accepted by the by the leadership and so forth and so as we uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to be self-supported is I didn't want to have that uh, that attachment to them where I'm where I'm I'm expected I'm bought right and I'm expected to be loyal to whatever the mother church uh, believes or whatever I wanted to have a freedom to to study the scriptures and preach the scriptures the way that I saw them. And which is uh, eventually as when we, we had an idea as to how we could make our own living over here. And as we presented that to the church, they were all up for it. And I think because they saw that I was 
veering off a little bit from from what they believed. They were it was they were almost relieved that that finally we we were going to not be on uh, church payroll, and then they didn't have to worry about what we were teaching here anymore. Interesting. Yeah, there. I, I the more I think about that kind of stuff, I realize that there has to be some balance there too, right? Like. Um, we don't want just every young Mennonite boy or every person that gets saved to go start their own church, to go start their own mission. Like there needs to be the accountability of a strong, clear direction from a brotherhood, from a good, solid Bible teaching. At the same time, if, you know, you're not allowing a young Bible teacher to even study or think for themselves, like there's certain things that are off limits. You can't say this or you can't question that. It, it very much very quickly turns sour too. So somehow, you know, probably like you said before, you and I both have probably burned bridges in the past that we shouldn't have. And we should have maybe listened a little bit more readily at the same time, uh, you being bold enough to stand up for what you believe in is required as well. Right. So even within the church, there's uh, there's issues that arise where you have to say, well, I mean, as much as I love you and appreciate you as a brother, as long as we're both trusting Christ, uh, we're going different ways in this in this regard, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things to learn as as a child of God is is to learn when to stand up and speak up and when when to drop it. Right? Uh, there's been so many so many church splits that have happened that shouldn't have happened because because there was things that should have just that weren't that important that should have been just dropped and left alone and and allowed the brother to believe something else whereas vice in the, in the opposite spectrum there's the the same danger where where now doesn't really matter what anybody believes that we're just going to accept accept everybody and and so so really learning when when god would have us stand up and say no this is this is not of god this is not scripture this is not right and when he would just, you know what, I don't see it that way, but, but I'm not even going to mention it, right? There's uh, people like me that are more bold, uh, are far more, far more often we, we spoke when we shouldn't have spoke. We should have just, just sat and been, uh, been quiet and, and listened and seen where things were going to go. Uh, but at the same time, there's a time where, where you have to just say, no, this, is, this needs to be said and this is what, uh, what the word of God teaches, right? Right. Even, even a, even a foolish man appears wise if he keeps his mouth shut. Right. But um, yeah. I, I think back to your previous self and the party days, you know, uh, we're all drinking the same beer. We're all going to the same parties. We're all listening to the same music. You're the only one getting into fights. Um, yeah. Hopefully that hasn't continued on now, right. Where you, it could very easily be because of your mannerisms, because of your character, your, you and I both can be a bit abrasive. We're in the face of people sometimes so we could sometimes allow our own personality to offend people rather than allowing the gospel to be offensive. Now, I'm all for preaching the gospel boldly and proclaiming it without any shame. And if it offends people, then so be it. At the same time, we don't want to be the only one. You know, every time you're in a church, somehow there's a big fight. What's going on here? Right. So definitely don't want to be that guy. Exactly. Exactly. And uh I think that too. So we we talked about all the the benefits of Vienna when we were there, right? But what some of the some of the fruit that came out of that that was perhaps wrong was that that feeling that if we're being being persecuted, then we're then we're living for God, right? If people are if people are upset with me, that must mean I'm on the right track. And yes. and, 
you and I both know that that's far from the truth. That you can that you can so easily have have everybody upset with you without ever even saying anything right, <laughs> and and uh, and uh, at the same time you can you can be an influence and oh we uh, god 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 gives wisdom to those that ask and when when god gives wisdom there is ways where you can actually influence and correct correct teachings and correct ideas and without ever anybody even realizing that oh you're saying that that brother so and so is a false teacher or you're saying that and and that is something that that i try very hard to do is not focus on on oh you know he said this and this that's wrong and that's wrong because of all this rather focus on bringing out the truth it actually it's actually hard for me sometimes when when oh how do i how do i say this without uh Sometimes when I hear someone uh, teach something incorrectly, and, and especially if I'm, uh, I'm involved in a Bible study where I'm going through a book or something, and then I know that this subject is going to come up shortly, I'm hoping that there's going to be a little bit more time before, before that, because I want to bring out the truth, but I, I want to bring it out in a way where I'm not necessarily branding everybody else, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I don't want to stamp other people and say, uh, because... The reality is, and I said this once to uh, 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 a preacher, I said to him, not everybody that, that preaches something false is a false teacher. And he didn't understand how that, how, how could you even say that? And I said, well, uh, a, a, a false teacher in the word of God is concerned is someone that is deceive, deceived and deceiving and being deceived. Whereas it would it would imply more to, the gospel itself and leading people off uh, astray into uh, trusting in their own righteousness again, trusting in the church guidelines, trusting in, in whatever, anything but Christ. Um, but at the same time, all of us have had times where we said something and where we, years later, we look back and we was like, oh, that was wrong. What I did, I used that scripture all wrong, right? Where you, you wouldn't really necessarily uh, label that person as a false teacher even though he said something false yeah and so i think we have to have that liberty where we can say that you know that the brother said that but he's he's an error in that without labeling him as as a uh, false teacher right away right yeah exactly i mean even now i, I know you're now part of a, a good group of believers there from what i understand we probably won't have time to get into that very much but you know maybe if many years ago 10 12 years ago maybe we would have looked at it and like those are false teachers, perhaps, or like they, they're too far off on certain doctrines, we can't even associate with them. And then you come to realize that they're just ambitious young Christians, perhaps too, they don't know exactly what they believe, but they're not out to deceive, they're clearly trusting in Christ. And uh, you start to see past some of that kind of stuff, and it matures you. And at the same time, you know, we should be able to exhort and convince the gainsayers, right? So that's not that's rebuking good. everyone. Yep. That's convincing people. That's being uh, persuasive. And um, you have to be persuasive with your character as well as your words, right? That's right. Yep. Anyway, this is a lot of fun for me. I feel like we could go on for a couple hours here yet. We've hardly gotten into your time in Mexico. I know you've started a business there and you're uh, teaching now at a local congregation and you've been you've done Bible studies out in the mountains with your motorbike and all kinds of stuff that we could talk about, but uh, maybe for another time. 
Yeah, one thing one thing that is uh, going on right now. I don't, I don't know if you've seen it. It's pretty bad, bad recording, bad bad quality, but we're learning it. Um, we're doing uh, God's story. Did you ever see Emmanuel Schrock's God's story as he was teaching through it at the door? I don't think I watched any of those. Okay, look into it, and then uh, uh, we have it translated now into Low German. It's a PowerPoint program that that I'm going through. In low German teaching uh, God's story from from Adam to Christ all the way all right in now we're plot in. Each. yeah all in plot each yeah it's all translated into plot each uh, my my plot each reading and, and speaking is definitely not uh, not like English but but even in this time that I'm up to chapter 12 I think now so um, just uh, the it's so much easier to read already now than from from the beginning. But uh, that those we're going to be putting on YouTube and on, on hopefully on, on Facebook. We are at, I am especially not at all uh, up to par with technical stuff. It's also all pretty confusing to me still. Oh, it's hard but, to uh, learn all that for sure. Yeah, but um, you know, I mean, I've I've listened to a couple of your uh, low German sermons there now, and it just it thrills me to hear it. Uh, the gospel being expressed so clearly in Plotich. To me, your Plotich sounds really good. I mean, I can still tell when someone is like born and raised, all they ever speak is Plotich. It's got a different sound to it yet. But, and I think of Steve Wall, who died a couple of years ago, and his Plotich was really good, and yours is sounding really good. So send me a link maybe to that um, that program that you're talking about, and I'll share it with the video here. So, okay, will do. Yeah. Right on. Man, hopefully we can do this again. It took a little too long to set it up, but uh, it's been a pleasure. And it worked worked really good. And yeah, it sure it did. Cost, cost me about fifteen pesos, so that's not uh, that's not too bad. It's a dollar. There you, <laughs> there you go. I'll send you a buck. <laughs> I'll be waiting. <laughs>